Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. So why church? Uh, a few years ago, I uh, was getting my hair cut, and the hairdresser, you know how they like to talk. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. But uh, the hairdresser, <laughs> got a hairdresser in here. Some of them like to talk. You know, I like the ones that just get it on, get me out of there. Well, this one was, was talking. He said, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I talk for a living. I'm like, really? I said, most of the time I sit and talk. But what once or twice will you all stand up and talk? <laughs> you know, that usually intrigues him. <laughs> and then I finally get around to say, well, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh. She was like, so do you sit in one of those boxes and listen to people tell you what they did wrong? And I'm like, I got a feeling you grew up Catholic. <laughs> And she actually said, no, I've actually never been to church. So she just saw that on TV in some movie show. You know? And I thought, wow, here's a chance, someone that has no clue as to what, is, what church is and has never even been to a church, um, and I get a couple of minutes to share. And I actually had a, like, I was like, oh, my word, how can I explain all of what church is, because to me, it's not just even what uh, gathers on Sunday morning and and uh, worships. <clears throat> I think it's actually the guys. I think it's actually the connector box, because you have to put B on both A and B or two. You know that thing in the bottom. Yeah, there you go. They're figuring out the computer. But you know, I can get by. I have my notes on my computer up here, so I don't even need it. Uh, sorry about that. <clears throat> Uh, to me, church is so much more than even what we've experienced this morning, uh, where you have worship and, and teaching. That's great. To me, it's like, you know, I've, I've seen people meet and get married and then have a baby and have those babies grow up, you know, and their most, you know, their most important relationships in their lives are, are member, people that they met at church. And, and they ended up becoming... And romantically involved and get married. Now, I've actually seen that in my lifetime. It's amazing. Or I've seen people that are, are just, this one young guy, when he came to our church, he was like a mental case. I mean, uh, he was so introverted that you, it's like if you screamed at him, I don't even think he'd look at you. You know, and after a few years, he became, you know, part of the youth group and just, he came alive. You know, I've seen lives transformed through this thing called church and then how it affects our eternal destiny. And there's just so much. <clears throat> how can I explain in just a few words what church is? And so uh, we're going to take a whole month to talk about it. <laughs> but in order to answer the question, why church? <clears throat> it really demands a prerequisite question, and that is, what is church? Okay, so before we can answer why you need to be part of a church and why there is a church, we have to ask, well, what is a church? And I didn't even think when I wrote this outline that today was uh, Communion Sunday and we'd be reading the Creed because for actually it's been about 1,600 years, the church uh, has been saying that creed that we recited this morning. Uh, and it's been uh, said throughout countless uh, you know, uh, ethnicities, different languages, different uh, political systems, uh, there's been this universally accepted 
definition of what church is. And that's that part in the creed where we say we believe in one holy, universal, apostolic church. And that's actually known as the four marks of the church. The four marks. One holy, apostolic, uh, one holy, universal, and apostolic church. So we're going to use that definition because it's, it's pretty well tested. <laughs> it's held true uh, throughout all of the centuries and all of the different applications to answer first the question of what is church and then on each point why that's important, why uh, it, mean, it should mean something to you. And we're going to spend probably a little more time on the first one because I think it really sets, by the way, the Stutzmans are here. Uh, well, there's a lot of Stutzmans yeah. here. <laughs> but Matt and Julie Stutzman, they pastor uh, Church of Baltimore and it's always an honor to have them. Why don't you give them a hand? Hallelujah. <laughs> Serving God. <clears throat> Baltimore is a crazy place, man. It's a, it's a lot different than Vandalia. <laughs> but one of these times we'll have you preach here. When you, if you let me know in advance when you're coming, we can do that. <laughs> All right. So uh, one church. There's one church. That's the first mark of the church. And we're going to talk about one church. And this really has to do with the unity of the church. Um, in Ephesians, when Paul's writing about the church, he says there is one body. Listen how he experiences. He says this. He's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. You think he's emphasizing something here? You know, right? one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you, y'all, in you all. <laughs> In you all, all right, one body. And so there's just this huge emphasis on the unity of the church, the absolutely essential characteristic of the church. The message paraphrases this same verse this way. It says, you were called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. All right, so stay together. Stay together, folks. Stay together. Outwardly and inwardly. I'm like, wow, that could be a whole sermon right there. You, know? you stay together outwardly is great, but you need to stay together inwardly. All right? And that's the, and the way you think, the way you feel toward one another. There's just this unity that pervades your outward actions as well as your inward feelings and thoughts and attitudes. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. I love this last sentence. Everything you are and think is uh, and do is permeated with oneness. Oneness. Wow. So that's what it ought to be. Okay? It's not always what it is, is it, brother? Pastor. Is it, Pastor? Is this, because this is what his church is like. <laughs> Everybody just gets along, right? <laughs> and so when God, you know, says this stuff that seems like unattainable, uh, in one sense, it is unattainable without Him. But with Him, it's not only attainable, it is our destiny. Okay, This is it. This is God's plan. This is what we're called to, and we don't give up until we experience it. But this is it. You can't redefine this aspect of what God calls the church and what we are, um, are striving toward. And, and in that scripture, it says that our unity, our oneness, 
represents the character of God. Why are to be one? Why are we to be one? Because God is one. In fact, everything about Christianity emphasizes this unity of the Spirit, this oneness, this togetherness. And so violating unity violates the nature of the Spirit. Okay? If you're, if you're in disunity with another person in church or in, or Christian, or just, you know, there's this, this whole, uh, thing going on. It's kind of risen in intensity and volume in our day where there's a whole bunch of people that are anti-church. But let me tell you, don't think that there's something new. It's been around from the first days, okay, of the church. Bible talks about it. People had that same problem. It's not a new problem. It's just, they just have a, they have a, they have a, they have an internet now. <laughs> so they don't need, they don't need a platform. They don't need to build a building and go through all the work of actually gathering people. Uh, they can just spout out on the internet saying you don't need church anymore. <clears throat> but, um, but violating the unity is a violation of the character of God. And it's, uh, it, and it violates the nature of the spirit. It violates the nature of our hope. It violates the nature of the Lord. It violates faith, baptism, all the stuff that he just listed. So it's a very serious, serious issue. Um, First Corinthians, uh, Paul explains the church, Christian church, in this way. He says the human. He says he compares it to the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. I also thought <clears throat> it's quite interesting that we just celebrated communion, and you know every time that we do that, we celebrate the body. Jesus says, this is my body. There's a real emphasis on the body. And, um, the, and just like the human body is made up of a whole bunch of parts, so is the body of Christ. And he goes on in this place to say, some are Jews, some are Gentiles, so there's racial divisions. And that was the big racial division in his day. All right? And so, and it differs depending where you are. Like right now, it'd be, you know, some are, are black and some are white, you know. Uh, but there's every color. This, this is every racial division. Some are Gentiles. I'm sorry. Some are slaves and some are free. And so that's economic differences. Uh, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit. There's one, the unity is, the unity of the church is directly intimately um, integrated with uh, the Holy Spirit and the nature of God. Um, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many parts, not just one part. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. And so just like you can't, you know, if you, unfortunately, some people are missing body parts, you know, kind of affects their their life, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, and there's certain body parts if you don't have, you just drop over dead. And there's other body parts that you, you may have or uh, not have, you may cut off your arm, uh, you can make do, but you can't perform in the same capacity. Or sometimes some people are lame, uh, their leg doesn't work. And so, you know, they can get by, but boy, it's, it's hard work and it limits them. And so that all of those illustrations apply to the church. I like how the New King James says, now you collectively, and that, that means it's a plural you, 
uh, are the body of Christ and members individually. And so this is talking about the collective, the group, um, and also individuals. And that's, that's a beautiful in illustration of the unity as well as the diversity of the church, that the church is a, a unified gathering of a number of people uh, called according to God's purposes, but each individual is equally important in that. <clears throat> so from this, it says that we are members of the body. The whole idea of church membership is very, very appropriate. Okay, It's biblical. All right. In fact, I believe it's vital to an individual as well as to the church as a whole. <clears throat> and I don't really know where, you know, some people have big, strong ideas about this. Uh, some people just, just, well, of course church membership is important. But you'd be surprised. Some people really argue about it. <laughs> I'm just stating this is what I believe because the Bible says this. That okay, It's kind of like, well, how important is it for my hand to be part of my body? You know, well, for the hand, it's really important. Okay. In fact, it's more important for the hand to be joined to the body than it is for the body to have a hand. I cut off my hand, I can make do. But that hand is going to die. Right? It'll rot. Okay. Very, very important. <clears throat> the church is always we, not me. All right. <laughs> it's impossible to be a church alone. It just doesn't make sense. Because church is a plural gathering uh, of, of believers for a purpose. Uh, and the body, the church, needs each, each member, of course. <clears throat> so, so the answer then, that's what church, what, what being one, unified, well, why that, is that important? Well, it, it's all about unity with Christ and unity with one another. And the message translates the same verse, the one we just read. It says, you are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never forget this. Only as you accept your part of that body does your part mean anything. And so when you become joined, and I believe that, you know, it's kind of like, you know, uh, football. How many people understand football? Well, I don't understand football, but I knew this. I know about this. But I know a little bit about football <laughs> or baseball, right? Whatever you're into, team sport. So if I just walk in and say, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an NFL player. I've been an NFL player. I've been on the, in the NFL for years. And you said, uh, <clears throat> you go, you don't really look like an NFL player. <laughs> you go, well, what team do you play on? Well, I don't actually play on a team. Oh. Oh. I'm just part of the NFL. I, I'm NFL. Wow. I, I can go to any NFL game. Wow. And I'm 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 probably the most important player there. And you go, really? Well, who's your coach? I don't have a coach. I don't need a coach. Right? <laughs> but you know, it doesn't take you very long to say, well, this guy's just crazy. Right? And if he showed up and tried to get on on the field, they'd arrest him. Right? Or maybe just beat him up. <laughs> You know, that's just lunacy. But people apply that to church, which is far more important than a football team. All right? You can't be part of the church if you're not part of a church. Just like you can't be part of the NFL if you're not part of a team that's part of the NFL. Is that hard to understand? No, it's very simple. <laughs> 
Christ, and this is this amazing thing in Colossians. Christ is also, this is numerous places, but Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. So the church is Jesus' body, right? And probably the most important part of the body is above the neck, <laughs> which is the head, right? We all agree. So Jesus without the church is what? A disembodied head. I wanted to have a head. I was going to ask Israel from his butcher shop to bring me like the head of a smaller animal. <laughs> you know, if I held up a head, you know, oh, what a nice little cow or what a nice deer. Go, right? If I had a human head, I, I thought about that. I'd get a human head from like the school or something, a doctor's office. <clears throat> I'm curious as to what question. <laughs> so if you're worshiping Jesus and you think you can do that without church, you are worshiping a disembodied head. And that's not my idea. That's God's idea. He said that, not me. He says the church is my body. So there's two equal and opposite errors. One is you try to worship Jesus without the body. Another is you try to have a body without a head. Zombie, right? Okay, that's scary. And so what happened is, it always helps to have a little historical context. And that is, you know, there was an error, uh, and this happened in primarily the Catholic Church, but it happens in every church, really, <clears throat> especially a traditional, established church. People get born in the church, and they're just part of the church, and they think everything's okay because they were born in the church. And you cannot be born into the kingdom in that sense. You know, you cannot inherit Christianity because your parents were Christian. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But once you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that demands that you have a personal relationship with his body. Okay? Because you're part of it. All right? And so we don't want to uh, have either one of the errors. And so the emphasis for uh, quite a long time, especially for most of the... 20th century, but actually goes all the way back to the Reformation, is this idea of a personal relationship with Jesus, but it got to the place where uh, it was so emphasized that they rejected the understanding of the importance and the place of church in that relationship. Okay, so the proper understanding is, yes, we have a personal relationship with Jesus, and that means we relate to him by uh, going through his body, and that's just as important. You cannot be connected to Christ without being a member of the body. And you cannot be a member of the body without a living connection to Christ. All right? <clears throat> I think that's what the Bible teaches. So that's the first mark, holy. The second mark, uh, the, the next three, we're hopefully going to go through a little quicker, uh, is that the, the second mark of the church is that, that it's holy. Uh, and, I, and I took this familiar reference, and it's... And it's um, Paul uses it in, uh, with the image of, of marriage, and so we normally understand this in the context of marriage and the role of the husband and the wife, but he's, he's primarily talking about the role of the church in Christ. And so I just took out the par portions that, uh, that talk about marriage because this is equally important. In fact, this is the main point of that passage, and marriage is just the illustration of the point. <clears throat> Christ is the head of the church. He's the savior of the body. 
Therefore, the church is subject to Christ in everything. Christ loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This communicates the love that Jesus has for the church. And you go, well, that's the first century church. No, that's, that's every church. That's the, the perfect church. No, that's every church. It's really it's every church. Jesus has this incredible love and affection. He died for the church. And he's committed to what he's doing now is sanctifying it. And that means to make holy, to purify, to concentrate, to venerate. All right? and, and the word venerate means to adore. So he's making the church adorable. But I actually think that Jesus adores the church. Like, he's really hot on his bride. Did you hear that? Jesus is passionate for his bride. I have a real hard time when people criticize the church. Because I kind of step back, because Jesus is going to, you know, if, if I got married, you know, this, you had a wedding yesterday, right? You know? And if you love to marry, they just got married. What if you went up to, at the reception and, and there's the newly uh, weds, and you walk up to the dude and said, "Man, you married her? Jeez, <laughs> what were you thinking, you idiot? Look at that!" And you start listing off all the faults. What what would be the proper response for the girl? Dak yeah, right. So when you criticize and talk negative of Jesus's bride. Whoa, man, that makes me think you don't know Jesus because Jesus died for the church. He loves the church and he's committed everything to make her whole. It means now it also implies there's wrinkles and blemishes, right? You don't point out someone else's wife's warts, right? <laughs> you, better, you better not even point out your own wife's. <laughs> All right, I think I made the point. So <laughs> why is this important to understand? There's lots of verses I could talk about that how the church is holy in God's eye, and it's just this really honored, uh, you know, I don't like to use the word institution. It's really, it's more than that. It's, it's a family. It's, there's so much. But it's honored, and it's sanctified. It's a holy thing. It's holy. And when something is holy, you don't diminish it by criticism. So, so even if the church down the road or your own church has problems, you don't criticize that. You don't ignore necessarily the problem, but you don't speak evil of something that's holy. Because God doesn't like that. He takes it personally. Right? But it's also, He's committed to removing those ugly things. All right? And that's his job. And so uh, the church, because it says Jesus is sanctifying the church, then the church is a primary means for sanctification. Okay? <clears throat> the church is to reflect the nature of Jesus and of God. Let me just a little bit more about that being a primary. 
uh, one of the primary means of sanctification is sanctification is being made holy. So as an individual, God actually uses the church to get to your stuff. And so it's real easy to be a Christian if you don't have a church. Because you don't have to deal with other people. <laughs> and it's in dealing with those other people that, that stuff comes up. You know whose stuff comes up? Your stuff! Okay? Your offenses. Uh, your disappointments. Your ego. Maybe your, uh, your uh, uh, negative self-worth. You know, all this stuff, maybe your sin is exposed, or maybe someone else's sin is exposed, and your judgment is exposed. Well, that's great. That's, that's great. That's how God designed it. Because in that context, then you learn how to forgive, how to honor, how to live in a healthy relationship with other people that are working on holiness like you are. Jesus Christ sanctifies His church, and we need to be part of that church to fully benefit from that sanctification uh, individually. And so like Jesus, we should treat the church as something sacred, something holy. And even that process, when people come to me and uh, they, they've had a broken relationship within the church, and so they can't even talk to somebody because they said this, and I can't even be around them. And I said, listen, this is an opportunity for you to either grow and increase and go to a deeper level of intimacy or to run and to separate yourself, violating unity, and to continue to be stuck relationally and emotionally where you've been for years. And uh, people struggle. It's a real struggle. So the church is the way through which Jesus for, uh, works on our sanctification. And furthermore, you know, we are the body of Christ. That means we are... Christ in the world, all right? You, you, look around. You want to see the incarnation of Christ? Right here. Right here. And so, <clears throat> you can't do that alone, all right? I can't represent Jesus Christ personally. On my, I don't have enough stuff, but I'm just a little finger, right? But when we work in unity and especially when we are unified not only as a congregation, but when we're unified with the other churches in the area, when, they see, when the world sees the church operating in love, they will know, uh, right? <coughs> Jesus said something about that, didn't he? Yeah. All right? And so we need to reflect the nature of God in order to represent Jesus to the community. And so that's why it's so important that we understand church as being something that's holy as well as something that's unified. The next mark is universal. <clears throat> I love this. I'm very passionate about this. I don't talk about it a lot, but I think it's a central, central uh, uh, part of the gospel. Uh, Jesus says, I have been uh, given all authority. This is the Great Commission. I'm sure you're familiar with it. I've been given, it's what Jesus said to his church, his disciples, right before he ascended into heaven. Uh, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And that word nations means people groups. Every form of people on earth. Every language, every uh, tribe, every nation. <clears throat> and uh, in another place, Paul's explaining this in, in Galatians to the Galatians church. He's talking about the kingdom of God. There's neither Jew nor Greek. 
Again, the primary racial division of their day was whether you were Jew or uh, Greek or Gentile. <laughs> He's like, you know what? That difference doesn't matter in the kingdom. Uh, there's neither slave nor free. So ethnic divisions here, uh, economic divisions. And then he goes one step further. There's neither male nor female. That means gender divisions don't, uh, uh, don't matter anymore. It doesn't mean that there's not Jews and there's not Greeks. We maintain our ethnicity eternally, by the way. Uh, and we maintain our gender, as far as I know, eternally. All right, there's no reason to think that we're not. Uh, <clears throat> but we are all one in Christ Jesus. So all of the things that divide humanity in Christ, we are brought into unity. Those barriers are broken. It says this in Ephesians, it says, Christ himself has brought peace. Again, I've kind of edited some of the scriptures out, or part of the scripture out to focus on the main point. It says, Christ has brought peace. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. In Ephesians, he's primarily talking, primarily talking about the, the wall between the Jewish people and all Gentiles. But that applies to every racial division. Um, he made peace by creating in himself one new people. There's a new race of human being. It's called Christian. We are a new creation. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both, and that would be all, because that's he's talking about all ethnic divisions, groups to God by means of his death. Listen to this. Our hostility toward each other was put to death. So the hostility between, and what we're seeing, I mean, I actually am surprised. We're kind of in the hotbed of it there in Baltimore. Uh, but uh, somebody was shot last night in Detroit. You know, this whole racial division, I'm like, shoot, they were dealing with that when I was a kid back in the 60s. Like, my goodness, we're still dealing with the same problem. And it seems to be getting worse. <clears throat> What's the answer? I'm telling you, the answer that God has provided is the church. Why church? Because it is uh, God's means to provide a universal inclusivity, you know, where everybody can be part of the same family, okay? And equity, okay? Uh, that means everyone is equal. Let me tell you, in the world, there is not equality, right? Don't you think for a minute that... Uh, People of certain, every race has have the same opportunities, okay? Because they don't, you know. And I was shocked because I grew up thinking everybody's equal uh, because I didn't know. And I have some friends that are black, and they just laugh at me. They're like, "You have no idea." I'm like, "No, I, I don't." And the more I get to know them, the more I realize, I, I, it's invisible to me, you know, that they really have have problems. And it's not just them, it's all ethnicities. You know, we're in a bubble. <clears throat> and acknowledging that we're in a bubble is the first step. It's like, wow, I, I really don't know what other people deal with. I have a friend who's a pastor, he's my age, he's one of the most influential people in Kalamazoo. He says every time he gets in his car, if it's at night, to drive somewhere, he has anxiety. He makes sure he's got his driver's license, he's got all the paperwork. He says, chances are I'm going to be pulled over. 
He's a very important man in Kalamazoo. All right? Uh, everybody, uh, you know, but he gets it all the time. I'm like, really? And, uh, like, he's not lying. He's a pastor of a big church. <laughs> I, was, I couldn't believe it. I never even think of it. You know, President Obama, I'm rambling now, but said, uh, you know, he's been followed in stores because they think he's going to shoplift. You know, when I'm in a store, people come up and ask me questions. I've had employees ask me questions. Like, I'm the boss. <laughs> and I tell them the answer. <laughs> and I chuckle when I walk away. <laughs> so, so the church is the means by which God intends to overcome every racial, economic, gender, language, and national barrier, inequality, and injustice. It is. And you can say, but it's not working. <laughs> and I would agree, it doesn't look like it. But I would respond to that, he's not done. He's not done. We're in process. But it is, the, the end, end game is this unity and this justice. Justice for all is going to be met. Uh, and we're going to live together. And we see a glimpse of this in Revelation. It says, and they sang a new song, they being all those who were redeemed. You are worthy to take the scroll. scroll. They're singing worship to Jesus and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And this is why we know that language and ethnicity continues in heaven. Because we see a glimpse of them worshiping and acknowledging, hey, all, we still understand that we came from different languages, from different, that means different ethnicities, from different nations, all right? And we've been redeemed, we've been made one people. And so in the end, through the church, this eternal bride of Christ that continues to worship God through eternity, Christ overcomes every injustice. And we're going to live in this unified humanity forever where there is no injustice. And so, yeah, it's not yet, but it is in process. And we will experience that forever. Last mark of the church is apostolic. <clears throat> That's the fourth mark of the church. And we're apostolic in origin, we're apostolic in, in purpose, and we're apostolic in structure. You can talk about all, each one of those quickly. Uh, our origin is apostolic. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2, it says... Uh, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I could have pulled a, a lot of different uh, verses, but it was very clear from the very beginning that um, uh, the origin of the church was, uh, um, the, uh, was, uh, was built on and its foundation was on the teachings of the apostles. All right? And the apostles were the recognized leaders of the church. And so our origin, our beginnings... Uh, we're apostolic, <clears throat> and so that's very important to understand because it defines who we are. You can't get rid of your beginning uh, because it, it is essential. To, it sets the course. And then we're also apostolic in purpose. And the word apostolic means to be sent out, okay? To be an ambassador, particularly an ambassador with both legal and functional authority uh, delegated to accomplish a mission. All right? So we're not just ambassadors sitting around watching TV at home. All right? We've been given a mission, and we have the authority to accomplish that mission. 
And so that's the purpose of the church, that we are apostolic in origin, apostolic in purpose. And Paul says this, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading uh, through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So, you know, Paul really embraced this. He packed up his bags and he walked across Asia Minor all the way up into, uh, uh, you know, uh, Europe. <clears throat> and he'd go from town to town preaching the gospel. You know, why? Because he understood that the church was apostolic. And wherever he stopped and taught, he taught the people to do the same. Go out. And at one point, when he was in Ephesus, he said the whole of Asia had been reached with the gospel because he was sending people out from the church there to all the small little towns and villages and preaching the gospel. <clears throat> and in other words, another place where Jesus said, we read this earlier, all authority has been given, go therefore. Okay, so the go is be apostolic. It's, it's our purpose. We're to, to be sent out. And then apostolic structure. Okay, and so uh, that means that there is delegated authority, and wherever there's authority, there's responsibility. Okay? If you have authority, there's implied responsibility. If you have responsibility, you need authority to accomplish that responsibility. Does that make sense? <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, responsibility without authority is just frustrating. Authority without responsibility is tyranny. Okay? Uh, and so there's authority given for a purpose, for a reason. And uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, you are the body of Christ, members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles. So he's talking about that apostolic role, and then prophets and teachers. He lists a whole bunch of them, miracles, gifts of healing, helps, administration, tongues. Uh, he says, are all apostles? And the implied answer is no, of course not. Are all prophets? No, of course not. Are all teachers? No, of course not. And so different people have different gifts. And he talked about that earlier in the same chapter. So there's a diversity, all kinds of different gifts, but the same spirit, all kinds of different ministries, but the same Lord. A spiritual gift is given to each one of us so we can help each other. Understanding that each gift comes from the same Lord means that in one sense we're equal. We're equal in the sense of value. We're equal in relationship with the Lord, but we're not equal in the level of responsibility and authority. Okay? Uh, and that's something you need to understand. If you don't, you, you won't get church. All right? Ephesians uh, 4 says, He gave some, not all, some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. And so some opposed to saints, which would be the whole. All right? For the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So understanding delegated authority and responsibility is a big part of what church is. Uh, and becoming a member of church is coming under a recognized authority structure. Okay, uh, And in Hebrews nails it, it puts it in no uncertain terms, obey those who have the rule over you and be submissive. Who's he talking about? about? He's talking about the elders and the apostles and the pastors that are recognized authority within a church uh, structure. For they watch, he's not talking about government authorities because it says, for they watch out for your souls. 
as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. Please. <laughs> Why? Because that would be unprofitable for you. All right? Because you know what? My, my reward as a pastor is based on my obedience, not on how you receive my authority. All right? But how you receive my authority is going to affect your joy. All right? Your profitability, it'll affect my joy, but it, it'll, it'll affect your reward. Okay? <laughs> Without apostolic authority, the church ceases to be a church. And it just becomes a club or some other entity. Okay? Because it was our origin, it is our purpose, and it is the God-ordained structure that we are to walk in. And the reason for that, the why for that, is that it brings life. You guys, some of you are farmers. You know, I, I love how that technology has increased the yield, right? Has technology increased yield? George? <laughs> Amazing, right? Why? Because they do things very structured. Like, you know, they plant one kind of corn on this row and different kind of corn on these rows, and they do all kinds. I don't even understand it. <laughs> that structure. Someone's in charge. You don't take a bunch of seeds and go out and just throw them in the field and go, boy, I hope something happens. Right? No, nothing works that way. You know? There's structure, and that causes growth. And Paul says that we are God's fellow workers. He's talking about uh, he and the other uh, apostles that he's uh, working with and teachers. He says, you, the church, are God's field. You're God's building. According to the grace which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, another builds on it. Let each one take heed how he builds, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The field talks about life, reproduction, and growth, and the building talks about safety. And so the why uh, of apostolic nature of church is because it brings life. It brings growth. And it brings safety. And without that, it can be a very dangerous, dangerous uh, thing. You can get my notes at that website link. Let's just close in prayer. Father, thank you so much. Lord, I am just, uh, I'm overwhelmed, uh, Lord, when I consider the uh, significance uh, of, of church and this, this mystery that you've chosen to reach the world through a group of misfits thrown together with all of our problems, but that You've chosen those weak things, uh, Lord, those uh, not noble things, uh, uh, to bring to shame the things that the world values so highly, and that You are going to use the church to display Your manifold wisdom. And I just pray the blessing on each person here that... Uh, we would see our part of being the church uh, and that we would benefit fully from uh, everyone else as part of a unified, holy, universal, apostolic church. In Jesus' name, amen.